Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Yeah, uh, I gotta say, right at the top, before we get into anything else, I freaking love this movie. I've already seen it twice. Um, I was never a huge fan of the John Wick movies. I liked them. I liked them plenty. But uh, man, did I love this one. I am super excited to talk about it with returning co-host Sean Malloy from the I Must Break This podcast. And uh, yeah, we got a great show for you today. And uh, I want to remind you all, before we get into it, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can also find us on social media at PiecingPod. So, John Wick, this is the story of the Keanu Reeves super assassin who uh, some other assassins kill his dog, and so he goes on a multi-movie journey of killing lots of other people. He shoots millions of people in the head maybe not millions but uh certainly hundreds hundreds multiple hundreds uh get shot in the head or stabbed in the eyeball or throats sliced by their own knives and i mean it is so violent but so funny and well done and just beautifully choreographed and it's a wild wild ride uh so let's get into the conversation but before we do we do have the Golden Tiki back as a sponsor again today. So I want to let you know a little bit about the Golden Tiki. If you're in Las Vegas, it is the place to go. They were voted by USA Today as one of the top 10 best nightlife destinations in Las Vegas. They were also named one of the top tiki bars in the United States by the Food Network. They've got a bunch of rooms filled with all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, great rum and mixed drinks. They're famous for their Dole Whip. They also have theme nights, DJs. The Swank Bastards play there a bunch, which I love those guys. They're awesome. And we all know I don't leave the house that much anymore, you know, unless it's to go to a movie or something. But I'm really looking forward to getting back over to the Golden Tiki sometime soon to check out Al and Bud's Oasis, which features two robotic parrots doing a dirty, like, comedy show. <laughs> and the parrots are made with microcomputers, nanorobotics, 3D printing, and hand feathering. And their entire uh, little... Little show is put together by by the bar's owner Brandon Powers, and uh, I'm sure it is a total blast to to watch. It's got to be hilarious. So I'm really looking forward to getting back over there one of these days soon, so I can check out 
Alan Bud's Oasis. So the Golden Tiki, thank you for being a sponsor. And let's jump into the conversation about John Wick 3 Parabellum. All right, joining us on the show again is Sean Malloy from I Must Break This Podcast. Sean, thanks for being here again. Hey, no problem. It's uh, it's nice to <laughs> to, to to be on a uh, on an episode where uh, I'm not talking about Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, for once. You, so <laughs> you talk about Dolph Lundgren quite a bit, so it's uh, it's good to give it a little break. Another action star here. <laughs> but I will say, I will say, there's actually a couple threads that that do link uh, the film we're talking about today with with Mr. Lundgren. So I will, of course, be obligated to. To of course uh, mention those threads. I love so. it. I love it already. I, I am looking forward to those threads. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, before we get into any puzzle pieces or anything, um, John Wick Three Parabellum, uh, you actually requested uh, to come on this episode, and so you know, obviously, you having a Dolph Lundgren uh, podcast, you're obviously a big action movie guy. Is that why you're a fan of these movies? Oh yeah, most definitely. Uh, most definitely. Yeah, no, I think the, uh, you know, when the first John Wick movie came out back in 2014, I mean the trailers and everything, I mean, it looked awesome. It looked great. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't really know what to expect. And then when it finally came out, it was very clear. Hence a lot of my puzzle pieces that, uh, that I'll be mentioning today. I think it's very clear that the writer, the director, every Everybody who had a hand in this has an immense affinity for the action genre, especially mm-hmm. the uh, the action genre from from the sweet spot of uh, of the the nineteen eighties, um, especially canon films. I'm sure you're probably familiar with canon films, but sure, um, sure. yeah, it's it's very evident that uh, they have a huge affinity for this, and I honestly feel that. Um, maybe maybe a little bit the first one but definitely the second and the third one the one we're talking about today yeah this uh th- this film they're they're certainly paying paying homage and tribute to the films that they grew up with loving and um so that's one of the reasons why why I love this and i remember when you uh put it out there about the big films that you were uh going to be seeing and the ones that you wanted to uh that, that you were requesting guests for um you know of course i'll probably mm-hmm. end up seeing godzilla and i'll probably end up seeing quite a few more films this summer but i think the john wick franchise is probably the freshest uh best thing coming out in the action genre today yeah i gotta say uh i i've liked the first two i maybe even loved but man did i love this one i'll just get it right out in front um i I'm still kind of blown away by how much I enjoyed this one. Uh, and, and, you know, it's always been there for the first two that like, wow, these are just filled with insane action sequences and just so inventive and so in love with the genre. And, uh, so, I mean, it's just great to see a, a series that is doing this and getting so well received. I mean, at the time of our recording, it's just the end of the, uh, opening weekend and it's like doubled the last one's opening weekend. I mean, I'm glad that people are actually going out and seeing this. You know, it, it's, it's amazing for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, it's nice to see a rated R movie taken over the box office like it has been. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I feel like there was always kind of this, uh, this idea. Um, well, it was certainly evident throughout the, uh, the late nineties and early two thousands that if, a, if an action movie wanted to survive and make money at the box office, well, they had to water it down a bit, uh, make it PG 13. Mm. And then when the DVD would come out, they would make it the unrated version. You know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. so it's nice to, to see yeah. a, um, 
a rated R movie doing as well as it is at the box office. And it's not just, I, I mean, you, it'd be nice to say that it's John Wick that kind of set this uh, trend in motion, but it's not. I mean, I think when uh, when Deadpool came out, that surprised a lot of people. Uh, then, of course, when Logan mm. came out, the, uh, the, the last Wolverine movie, that was, of course, rated R. And so I, I think... Uh, not saying that the R rating was ever really the uh, the kiss of death, but I, I think it, it's nice to see that um, filmmakers are not shying away from it and are not afraid to uh, to make it R. And boy, oh boy, is uh, well the. I guess the entire franchise, but especially the third one, Parabellum. This is a hard R, man. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They did not shy away from any no. of it. It's, uh, it's, it, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what, one last thing I was going to mention, and then we'll jump into some, uh, puzzle pieces is I'm particularly glad to have you as the co-host for this one, because I, uh, I, when it comes to movies, I have watched a million action movies in my days, but lately I don't really get out to as many action movies. I don't get, we all know that I don't get to watch old classics as much as I should. Uh, but I know that you are a big fan of action and I think that you'll probably have like a really, you know, a lot of good, uh, insight into the world of action films with this. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, uh, uh, boy, that's, that's definitely, uh, <laughs> I, I got to live up to this, uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to this reputation you, you've you given got me. It. Um, you got but, it. Yeah, you know, and can I can I just say actually before we get into this, um, I will say about Keanu Reeves. You know, Keanu Reeves has always kind of had this. Um, I, I I found that people either really love him or they they do not love him. Um, you know, because because of his yeah. acting, and I will admit, you know, sometimes his acting, especially in the early days, um, is a little wooden. Um, I, I would say I I do honestly feel that I think he's gotten much much better within the past 10 years. But I will say, if you look at Keanu Reeves' career, and this is something that I um, that I mentioned on a previous episode of uh, on my show, but if you really look at Keanu Reeves and his career, it's really fascinating and amazing in a sense because he has been at the forefront of every change in the action genre. And if you really think about this, if you go back to 1994, mm. when he did the film Speed, okay? So the, the film Speed, really, I mean, and the, can we just say also, Speed still holds up to this day. I mean, Speed is an awesome friggin' movie. Um, <laughs> but, mm. you know, I will say one of the things that makes Speed um, hold up is the fact that it provided audiences with a with a regular action hero. You know, it was around this time, 1994, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, those were our quintessential action heroes. That's who everyone was looking at um, as being the action hero. And so yeah. then he had Speed come out and, you know, Keanu was fit and everything, but he was not as muscle bound and larger than life as some of these, these, uh, these other action guys were. And so you have Speed that came out, shattered box office records, sure. and suddenly you had guys like Arnold and Sly kind of reeling from that a bit. Okay, because you had audiences realizing, you know, we don't need this big muscle bound guy to 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 be an action hero. And then so if you if you look at uh, if you look at the films that were coming out, they were all kind of trying in a weird way to kind of ape that uh, that formula and that style. And so then if you go forward to 1999, sure, sure. you had The Matrix come out again, another film that uh, that Keanu Reeves is headlining. And if you look at the films that came out post Matrix. Well, what are they all trying to do? They're all trying to copy and 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 co ape the style of the Matrix, you know, doing that bullet time and everything like that. And then totally. so then 
if you jump forward oh, to yeah. 2014, you have John Wick came out these with just these insane fight scenes and these long, extended, choreographed gun battles. And what do we have going on nowadays? We have films that are, um, you know, copying that style. I mean, look at Atomic Blonde. Atomic Blonde is awesome. Let's be honest. I don't think we would have Atomic Blonde yeah. if it wasn't for John Wick. So it's it's really no it's 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 totally it yeah so totally I I think it. it's it's really just amazing in a sense I mean say what you will about Keanu Reeves but the guy has been at the forefront of the of the action genre and he has I mean let's just say it he has reset and reinvented the action genre as we know it three times so I, I think that right there is amazing and can I also just say this last thing I'll say about Mr Reeves but the guy doesn't age. Like what the hell? Like <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. If anything, when the first one came out, like that was the hardest thing is that he's so damn young looking to be a retired hitman, you know? Yeah, and, and what is he? I think he's <laughs> he like seriously does not I think age. he's like fifty-four or something like that, I heard, or something. I mean it's yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, it's amazing, but he looks yeah. he looks the same as when he did Bill and Ted. So <laughs> crazy yeah absolutely crazy well uh with that why don't we jump into some puzzle pieces what do you got for your first one um yeah so you know i um kind of touched upon it briefly but um you know so okay so the director of this film is a gentleman by the name of uh i'm gonna say his name wrong but it's chad stahelski and then the writer is uh derek uh derek kolstad mm -hmm. and like i said i think that these guys are you know they have a huge affinity for the action genre, um, especially the films of the the eighties and the nineties. I mean, if you look at the first movie, they cast Kevin Nash, a wrestler, in in a bit role. In the second one, they had Franco Nero mm. pop up in a brief role. And in this one, I mean, my God, the main bad guy is played by Mark Dacascos, who I think a lot of people just thought kind of mm -hmm. dropped off the face of the earth because he was doing a ton of direct to video stuff, um, martial arts related back in the nineties. Um, but he kind of, uh, I think he was still doing, he still to this day is doing some, uh, direct to video stuff, but the fact that they cast him as the lead bad guy shows that they, um, not only are they taking a bit of a chance, but they have a, uh, an affinity, um, for the genre, like I said. And so as I was watching this, especially that final act, it's probably more so mainly in the final act, but are you familiar with Bruce Lee's film game of death? I am not. No. Okay. I've heard of it. Okay. So yeah, Game of Death was the film that uh, Bruce Lee was filming. Actually, um, he got like about a hundred minutes or so or something, basically what I've read. He got maybe about 70 to 75% of the film completed. And then he unfortunately um, died at the, at the age of 32. Mm. And so the film was incomplete and they, they were eventually able to release it. Um, actually, the story behind Game of Death is oddly fascinating, um, but they were able to, um, release it by reshooting some scenes and bringing in some doubles. There's even actually a couple scenes where they, they use a cardboard cutout of Bruce Lee <laughs> um, for some of the scenes. But um, basically the premise of game of death is okay. He is this, uh, and I'm sure if you've seen pictures of it, if you've seen things on YouTube, it's the one where he's wearing the, uh, the yellow and black jumpsuit. Mm, yeah. 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 Okay. So basically the premise is he is a martial arts master and he is, uh, he basically approaches a pagoda. It's his legendary pagoda and he pretty much has to make it to the top of the pagoda and each level of the pagoda. He is to take on, um, a number of villains and a, a, a boss. Um, and so it's pretty much, I mean, it's a video game in a lot of sure. ways, but I think the, the John Wick franchise, especially the third one, is a video game brought to life in, in a oh, sense. Yeah. But um, if you remember, especially in that final act, I think they are, I think the writer and the director, they are certainly paying homage 
to Game of Death. Because if you think about it, he is having to make his way up that uh, that well, it's not a pagoda, but it's it's that glass building um, to meet the final boss at the end. And so, yeah, I, I think uh, if you see Game of Death, it's it, it's pretty cool because the final boss at the very end is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, mm. and seeing Bruce Lee square off against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's, I mean, even to this day, it's a film that was made in 1973, uh, wasn't officially released until 1978. Um, but the way it's shot, I mean, it is talk about some amazing martial arts, but just, I mean, the, the scale of it, you have Bruce Lee, who is about half the size of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but it is an amazingly shot film. And so, so yeah, that's my first piece. Beautiful. I love it. And you know what? Uh, I'm just going to kind of combine right along with that because I was also going to bring up Enter the Dragon because of the whole mirror room situation um, and the whole thing mm-hmm. at the end of the uh, at the end of the movie, the big final fight. Um, and yeah, I think they combine so well. And obviously, this is a movie that combines so many uh, influences from uh, Asian, you know, cinema. And so th- those are two perfect examples that kind of me- come together and uh and and show their influence so well on screen and you know like a lot of the things you were just saying that these guys are like clearly just major fans of this stuff and they're they're not even trying to hide it they're, these are definitely homages more so than uh than anything else uh, the, these guys are really trying to uh take the things that they love so much and put them on screen and just like just up the ante and, and and try to do it in in crazier, more hard R rated ways, really. And uh, I I I love so much that whole sequence that you're talking about and that I'm talking about as well here with the uh, Enter the Dragon piece. But uh, I I love how like how many glass panes he's smashing through and all that kind of stuff as he's going through. It oh gets, yeah, it gets to be so comical, but while being like freaking dangerous hardcore action at the same time i mean it's uh it's really really well done well it almost kind of reminds me of uh uh, it reminds me of that scene in Wayne's World too, where the uh, <laughs> where where the guys are crossing the street holding yeah. the uh, the panes of glass, and you have Wayne. He he looks at him and he says, "Boy, I wonder if this is going to come in handy at some point." <laughs> and you know, when <laughs> when you see John Wick enter that room with nothing but glass, it's like, yeah, he's going to be smashing all of that up eventually. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but who knew how much exactly that. <laughs> That was like so much. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah, but that's great though. That's hilarious. Um, right on. Well, you know what? Uh, I guess I just kind of very quickly went into my second, my first one. Um, but we might as well just come back to you though. What do you got for your next one? Well, you know, it's an excellent segue. You said uh, the fact that um, the, the 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 writers and the director of this have this huge <clears throat> affinity and they're paying homage to um, Asian cinema. And yeah, that that was my next one. Is are you familiar with the film The Raid? Yes, absolutely. So, okay, so there's The Raid that came out in 2012, then the sequel, The Raid 2, and then there's another one. Um, if, if you can handle The Raid 1 and 2, there's another one that's on Netflix, actually. It was released back in October called The Night Comes for Us. I and, saw that, I mean, actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my God, talk about a total assault of the sen- of the senses. I mean, that was probably the most violent savage film i have ever seen um and i'm still reeling from it in a lot of ways but yeah um some of the bad guys in uh in in parabellum uh john wick chapter three however you want to refer to it um were from the raid um 
So if you remember at the end, um, some of the bad dudes who he, uh, who he faced when he was on one of the levels, if you will. Um, mm. One of those was the main bad guy from Raid 1. And then his partner was the bad guy from Raid 2. I don't know if you remember, but they were the two guys who were saying it was such an honor to uh, to be fighting him, if you remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Those guys were great. Yeah. What, what great characters. Yeah, so the fact that they cast those two guys, like I said, it's very clear that um, that they've seen the raid and they love the raid. And, you know, I mean, it's those films, those those Indonesian action films and their their effect is is very clear. There's another one that came out that's also on Netflix um, called Headshot that uh, is has the same star and a lot of the same uh, the same actors in that one. And I mean, the fight scenes are done to a whole other level i mean it's it's funny because a buddy of mine said it perfectly if you remember back in the 90s um everyone was trying to uh, we were seeing a lot of john woo imitations a lot of john mm. woo imitators you know um and and the films of john woo have always kind of been coined or been referred to as a heroic bloodshed and um mm. my buddy said you know that these new martial arts films like the raid and night comes for us it's uh it's it's heroic bloodbaths I mean, we're talking, it's not just martial arts and, and gunfire. I mean, they are using machetes and knives. And I mean, it is just a, a total, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost in a weird way, not even action, but more horror, especially Night Comes for Us. I mean, my God. Yeah. So Yeah, I, I, I don't watch as many of those kind of movies as I should, but my friend Q got me to watch The Night Comes for Us by uh, comparing it to The Evil Dead. Um, he was like, you're going to love it. It's basically like a martial arts, evil dead. And <laughs> so, so he got me to watch the movie and I was yeah. glad I did because it was, it was great. Well, and I mean, just the fight scenes just go on. I mean, you know I mean? And that's yeah. one thing that, um, I, I think John wick is uh, another buddy of mine said it perfectly actually the other day. I think the John wick films are about as close as we're going to get here in America, um, to having films like, like the raid, you know what I mean? I mean, because we, we're just, I mm-hmm. mean, our sensibilities are, are a little different and our, our, our you know, our, our shooting styles are a little bit different. But I mean, if you look at um, those films, I mean, you have, you have fight scenes that go on for 15 minutes on end. Whereas if you look at a, an American uh, uh, martial arts film or American action film, yeah, we'll have a, a, a martial arts sequence or a fight scene, but it's going to be edited and it's going to be cut sure. and it's not going to go on for as long as, uh, as long as those films do. And I can certainly see the pros and the cons to both. But, um, but like I said, I think the makers behind, behind John wick, they're fans of, uh, they're fans of the raid so much so that not only are they paying homage to it, but they're going to cast some of the main fighters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, American action movies, uh, my next puzzle piece, uh, I, I think that these John wick movies have, uh, it's, kind of amazing that they've been able to do this but they keep uh upping the level of insanity upping the the level of fight scenes the set pieces the uh really taking things you know quote unquote to the next level each time and the only other series i could think of that does it that well are the mission impossible movies and uh so my next puzzle piece is the mission impossible movies uh i i think each time they are doing new things that you know, just they really just kind of blow away your expectations each time. And it's just kind of like, how are they possibly going to top this? And there are so many moments during uh, the John Wick 3 
where I was thinking, what the hell are they going to be able to do in John Wick 4 to, to find a new way for Keanu Reeves to kill people with his hands or a gun or a knife? Like, how are they going to find new ways? In the same way that I'm constantly wondering, you know, how are they not going to kill Tom Cruise in the next Mission Impossible movie? Um, but yeah, so my next puzzle piece is uh, the Mission Impossible series and the way they constantly outdo themselves each time. Did you notice, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because did you notice how I, I watched both, uh, both one and two before seeing three again, just to, you know, just to get in the mindset, get prepared, you know? And mm -hmm. it, it's funny because as the series has gone on, the main character, Keanu's uh, John Wick character, he talks less and less. I mean, it, almost so in the third one, I mean, he still had quite a few speaking lines, but, um, he was he was more a uh, a a force of nature in this one sure. than than he was in the in the first two. I mean, the first couple, mainly the first one, I'd say there was a little bit of character development there. Um, but in this one, he is uh, he's 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 more the uh, the silent assassin, I would say. In this one, if if you look at uh, compared to the previous two. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's very far and few between his lines, but when they're used, they're used uh, efficiently and effectively. <laughs> you know? he, yeah. He's got some great yeah, most lines when they, when they do pop up. <laughs> so uh, what do you got for your next puzzle piece? Uh, the 2007 film Smoke and Aces. Have you seen Smoke and Aces? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the, and the whole idea of Smoke and Aces. Yeah, I mean, and actually uh, that's uh, that's something I... I went back and watched again after seeing uh, Parabellum. Um, mm. But yeah, the, the whole premise basically of Smoke and Aces is, is it's a huge ensemble cast. I mean, I, I was, I, that's one of the things I loved about it is the, the, the cast that they assembled for it. You have, you have Ben Affleck, you have, um, oh gosh, uh, her name is escaping me. She's a pop star. Anyway, it'll come back to me. Uh, but you have Ben Affleck, <clears throat> Ryan Reynolds, uh, Jeremy Piven, uh, Ray Liotta. And it's pretty much uh, the, uh, what was it? Jeremy Piven plays a um, he plays a magician who is pretty much he's a Las Vegas magician who's fallen on drugs and alcohol, and he mm -hmm. is uh, he's basically become the main hit. Okay, so this huge payday for whoever kills him first, and so you have pretty much every assassin imaginable coming out of the woodwork to collect the payday and and kill Jeremy Piven, and so you you have some uh, you have a calm collected assassin who uses disguises, then you have some crazy batshit assassins who use chainsaws, and I mean I mean it really is uh it is is out there, but it's a it's a fun movie, and then Ryan Reynolds and Ray Liotta played the FBI agents who are on the case, but um yeah, yeah it's it's a fun movie uh, written and directed by uh, Joe Carnahan. Who, who I think is a mm -hmm. great voice of the action genre. But yeah, I just think the whole idea of having this eclectic, unique um, hodgepodge group of assassins all coming together for one goal, one mission is very similar to what they're going for in, in John Wick. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought Smoke and Aces to this conversation because I had written down in my notes that there is another movie I could think of where like every other assassin has been sent to kill one and and I couldn't think of what it was. And that, I think that is exactly the movie that I was trying to think of. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's got to be it, the, the one that was on my mind. But uh, yeah, no, I Carnahan hasn't done anything in a while, has he? I haven't seen him. <laughs> A movie yeah, no, you're right. He hasn't done much. I know he tried doing a treatment for uh, Daredevil, um, and Fox mm. passed on it. But he had kind of a cool, unique take for the uh, Marvel <laughs> Comics character Daredevil, and they ultimately uh, 
uh, turned it down and said no. But that would have been kind of cool to see. Yeah, it, it would have been cool to see him do something like that. But uh, but uh, yeah, definitely an interesting voice, though. And definitely glad that you brought that movie up, though, because that's that's a perfect puzzle piece. Um, so I got a, a kind of a, a little bit of an offbeat one here. But um, my next one is the horror movie Don't Breathe. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because it is the only other movie I could think of with as intense dog sequences. Um, (laughs) the dogs, Halle Berry's dogs in this movie are just so freaking vicious. Uh, I joked on Twitter that I would love to see like a 90 minute documentary on how they train these dogs to do this. Um, and don't breathe. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I think it's awesome. Uh, Stephen Lang yeah. is amazing in that one. Oh yeah, he's so good, so good. But those Rottweilers, it's so freaking scary. And uh, you know, as a big dog person myself, um, to see just what, what they're able to get these dogs to do in these like just intense freaking action sequences, uh, that's that's pretty much the only other one that I could think of that's quite that quite that intense. The only other one I kind of thought of was uh, No Country for Old Men in that uh, opening sequence um but yeah don't breathe was the the first one that came to mind very cool very cool well i gotta be honest i don't really have any other fully formed uh pieces i have a couple you know small little little uh, you know elements or you know notes of mention but yeah my my three main puzzle uh-huh. pieces were going to be smoke and aces um the raid or night comes for us whichever one you think it's uh more similar to and then um game of death so <laughs> Perfect. No, those are those are great puzzle pieces. And actually, the raid was one of mine. So I actually only have one more now at this point. Um, So I might as well knock that one out. And then we can go into any other uh, any other thoughts that you had. Um, But that final puzzle piece then that I have, I kind of touched on it earlier a little bit when we were talking about The Night Comes for Us. But it's actually the Evil Dead series. And the reason why is because of uh, something you actually were saying earlier is about how the character just is, uh, you know, constantly like almost becoming, I don't remember if you used the word, uh, a cartoon character or not, but maybe I was just thinking that word, but, uh, but the character is just becoming so over the top and crazy. And in the, you know, the evil dead series, obviously Ash becomes more and more, uh, over the top as the series continues. And the John wick universe is just expanding at a rate that it just has kind of no business in expanding you know uh it could have so easily just been a very simple uh you know straightforward hitman you know action movie and it's just expanded and expanded in mythology and character and uh the character is becoming more and more almost cartoonish and uh i think all for the better quite frankly but uh but yeah that it reminds me of the way that the uh the overall story grew within those three evil dead movies yeah you know that's an awesome way of uh of of putting it you know what's interesting about this series is i mean i think you when you go into it you have to pretty much accept the fact i think that this takes place in another universe in another reality (laughs) you know what i mean um because i mean it's pretty much it's expecting you to believe and accept the fact that it uh, that, that that it's in a world where every other person is an assassin. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and so, you know, and I think what the series did, which was really cool. Um, and I read one review that, you know, disagreed and didn't like it. But what I what I really like is how the first one 
you know, it's in the real world. And the first one, you accept it that, okay, you know, he was an assassin who's retired and he's kind of entering the world once again. And, and you're kind of going along with it. And then the second one, I think that was a wise move too, for them to set it up that way. Because then by the second one, by the time that came out, the, uh, the writer and the director had a little more creative control over the project as anyone would. I mean, if you really think about it, any franchise after the first one hits, they, they give, uh, they, they they give the director and everyone behind it a little more creative freedom. I mean, if you look at 1989's Batman compared to 1992's Batman Returns, Batman Returns is so much more of a Tim Burton film than the first one, and I think that's because they gave him the control. And sure, so, if you yeah. look at uh, if you look at John Wick two, one review I read said that the film its its head is so far up its own ass to where it's to where it's you know completely ridiculous and i think um on one hand i can certainly uh see that and sympathize with that but then again i think like i said it's in its own world I mean, you have the the suicide girls basically who are handling the uh the the phone lines or the phone operators and everything i mean it's all done to you know give the film this uh this flavor and this style and this edge to you know kind of let you know okay this is not the real world and i think if you can go along with that and realize that this is not in the real world, then um, it's certainly more fun and much more enjoyable. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's shocking that it's not a uh, graphic novel or something that they're adapting. It, it really just seems like it would be, but it's like, it's crazy. They just keep coming up and they keep building on this thing in a movie world. That just doesn't happen very often anymore. Well, you know, and there was a film that came out about, well, no, actually it was last summer. It was last June called Hotel Artemis. Did you see Hotel Artemis? I wanted to see it. I never got around to it. So the problem with Hotel Artemis is a lot of people say, well, it, it seems like it, sh- it could take place in the John Wick world. It seems like it, it you know, it, it exists because, you know, in John Wick, you have the the Continental, which is a, a hotel for assassins. And basically the whole idea of Hotel mm-hmm. Artemis is that it is a hotel. What is it? It's hospital, I believe. It's a hospital for for criminals, basically. And I think the big problem with it, why a lot of people, well, me personally, why I didn't really care for it, is because, like I said, you had John Wick one that kind of set the ground, you know, set the stage for for what was coming, and you know, set the world up for mm-hmm. what was to come in John Wick two and John Wick three. And the problem with Hotel Artemis, it is it was jumping right ahead into John Wick two world. And it's like, you can't really do that. Like, you know, John Wick, you know, it, it had one movie to kind of establish itself and to kind of gain this goodwill and everything. And then Hotel Artemis is just jumping into this world, expecting you to go along with it. And it didn't really work. It didn't really put in work. Exactly. And it didn't really, uh, (laughs) the payoff was not that great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Um, you know, I, I actually, I just remembered, I did actually have one other uh, puzzle piece. I might as well bring it up real quick. Um, so th- this is like more of like one of our buckets, except for the thing is, is I couldn't, I could only think of one movie. It may be if maybe you'll think of one that could fit in this. Uh, but movies where the villain is a fan of the hero. And the one I thought of was Kick-Ass 2. Um, I don't know if you could think of any that also do that, but, um, uh, Mark Dacascos character, so funny the way that he's, you know, is just a straight up fan of John Wick. And, uh, I, I thought that it was so well done. And, uh, some of those lines, uh, you know, it was a great fight. Oh man. You know, (laughs) that's just really, really, really fun. Just really fun. Yeah, boy. It's, I don't have anything now, but as soon as we get finished recording, it's probably going to come to me and then I'll text you. 
and and, and it'll come through. Yeah, yeah. You know, I will say, I will <laughs> say, I, I do have hope for for my boy Lundgren, um, you know, and 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 his fellow uh, compatriot Jean Claude Van Damme, because, like I said, the fact that they cast Mark Dacascos, you know, in a in a big budget film like this, yeah. gives me hope that um, obviously they they left it open for a John Wick four. And if John Wick four does extremely well, then mm-hmm. let's face it, we're probably going to get a five. I mean, even Keanu Reeves, I think he went on the record <clears throat> saying that as long as his body still allows it, he's going to keep on making these films. And so <laughs> I have hope and I have oh, yeah. faith that um, they may find a role for uh, for a guy like Jean-Claude Van Damme. And they may find another role for a guy um, like like Dolph Lundgren. I mean, if not, you know, as a, as a main heavy, then maybe as like a mentor and maybe as like a figure from uh, a member of the high table, if you will, that they have to come across. I mean, I think um, the fact that, uh, that these guys are, you know, like I said, going back and hiring people like Franco Nero and, you know, and Mark Dacascos, you know Mm -hmm. what? And I mean, this is going to be one of the things I was going to say at the end, but the writer of this film, Derek Kolstad, um, he wrote a film for Dolph Lundgren called The Package um, that stars Dolph Lundgren and Steve Austin. Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it could happen, and I'm not, I'm not counting it out just yet. I would not be surprised one bit because, yeah, they're they're going for action. It's kind of action history, action cinema just wrapped up in like trying to make it its purest thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, so I don't see why they wouldn't be going and trying to uh, trying to get people like that for it. And quite frankly, I think he would fit really well in this whole universe. I, I think I could totally picture Dolph in this universe. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, me personally, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking I could see Dolph. I mean, he's played the bad guy so much that I'm kind of like he can do other things than being the bad dude. But I think Dolph would be amazing if he was like the uh, like the Lawrence Fishburne character. Obviously, they already have, you know, that role figured out. But I think it'd be great if um, maybe, you know, Lundgren would play like a wise old sage in some kind of way that um, the Wick has to uh, form an alliance with. Sure. Um, and I think Jean-Claude, he would be an amazing bad guy. I mean, how cool would it be if he was like the the second in command of the high table or something like that? You know what I mean? I think that... Oh, um, that that's something that'd be pretty cool. I'm in. I'm in a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I just realized I haven't done the finished puzzle, so I might as well do that, and then we'll uh, get any other uh, thoughts that we have about the movie. So, uh, the finished puzzle for John Wick Three Parabellum includes uh, Game of Death, uh, uh, Enter the Dragon, uh, the Raid series, The Night Comes for Us, the Mission Impossible series, Smoke and Aces. Don't breathe the Evil Dead series and Kick Ass Two. Uh, so, any other thoughts about this movie that you had? You know, I, I the the other thing I just want to throw out there real quick is um, if you take a look at the Die Hard franchise, and I think you know, I think one of the, in my opinion, one of the things about the Die Hard franchise that has brought people back. The fact, I mean, if you look at it, well. <laughs> I don't really like to count the fourth and the fifth one, but I guess you kind of have to. Um, <laughs> but the thing about uh, the Die Hard franchise that I think is is so cool and so appealing is that you have Bruce Willis's character, John McClane, who is a regular guy, a regular everyman, and the beating he takes. I mean, that that that's the thing. If you look at every Die Hard movie, it's always the same thing. It is his character going through an adventure he's charting on the first one he's going around a building the second one it's throughout an airport the third one it's you know throughout the city Mm -hmm. of new york but it's all over the course of a single day 
And if you take a look at his character from the beginning of the film to the end of the film, it's amazing because the beating that he takes is, is really interesting. He starts out at the beginning of the film relatively clean cut, but by the end of the film, you pretty much see the deterioration of a man. I mean, he is just, by the end of the film, he is just, he's beaten, his shirt is torn, you have sweat stains, you have blood all over him. I mean, <laughs> but he is still surviving, he is still kicking. And I think that's one of the things, I mean, maybe not it's, it, maybe not it's, fully consciously that um that they're trying to do with the wick franchise but that's one of the things that i like about it is maybe it's not taking place over the course of a single day but if you think about it john wick is pretty much wearing the same suit throughout the entire film and it's the same thing he has taken beating after beating <laughs> and you just see that suit in his body just getting again deteriorated um <laughs> you know the sweat stains the blood but he is still <laughs> moving forward to the end and so uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say he's exactly like John McClane, but I think just that whole, uh, that whole motif and that whole um, kind of dynamic that they're providing to the character is very similar. Sure. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. It's a really good comparison. It's uh, and, and yeah, I mean, th these are, we are going to be, I think looking back at this series with the same kind of fondness as we do the diehard, at least those first few. Hard oh, movies. Yeah. Uh, ho hopefully the John Wick movies continue in the right direction. They certainly seem to be like they're going to. So I, I had two last thoughts I wanted to bring up about the movie. Um, the, the first one, I just thought it was interesting. I, one of the, it seems like for the most part of this movie is being very well received. Um, the one thing that I keep seeing though, people criticizing is about, just the insane level of violence that it has gotten to. And I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm a fan of, of violent movies. I don't think that they're causing society great damage or anything like that. But I do think it's hilarious that we also seem to be in a moment where the world has decided that Keanu Reeves is like the nicest guy in the world and like one of the, the best, nicest celebrities, and that he is the face of this movie that is so unbearably <laughs> violent for some people i i just think that's i just think that's a really funny thing that it works out well and he he's i mean again i mean love him or hate him and you know i know people love to crack jokes about his acting style but i mean he i mean he must have a really good agent or he is extremely business savvy because i mean if you look at his next couple films yeah he has this crazy violent action film that he's done but he always seems to sandwich these films in between you know, other more lighthearted fare. I mean, just last year he had a film that he did that came yeah. out with Winona Ryder called Destination Wedding, which was like a romantic comedy. And then mm -hmm. just uh, a couple days ago, he um, released. He's not a main character, a main role, but he is showing up in a uh, in a film um, that's going to be on Netflix. I don't know if you saw the trailer for it, but it's a romantic comedy, and the name is now escaping me. But mm -hmm. it's with. Uh, Oh goodness. Um she's a she's an Asian American comedian. She has that uh Netflix special called Baby Cobra, I want to say. But anyway, it's her and then um Oh, Ali Wong, right? Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah, Ali Ali Wong. Yeah, she's in it and then the the guy from that sitcom Fresh Off the Boat is the uh is is the other love interest. But um yeah, he he has a little role in that one and then he's going to be apparently coming back for Bill and Ted 3. You know what I mean? And so, like I said, here's a guy, yeah, like I said earlier, 
he's reinvented the action genre, but he's no dummy either. He's also, you know, doing some more lighthearted, you know, fair, diversifying himself to where he's not fully getting pigeonholed into the action genre. So you got to give him, got to give him credit mm-hmm. for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I was going to say, and especially since this has been a really fun conversation so far, we're going to be closing it up in a minute, but I think the John Wick franchise is the newest thing. And we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier about, uh, about how this has influenced a lot of recent action movies. I think this is the newest thing we could do a breaking it apart episode on, uh, you know, because these movies really have inspired a lot of the like last five years of action movies. And I think, whereas normally with the breaking it apart series where we go backwards and look at an older movie and look at what movies uh, were inspired by it, um, you know, usually you have to go back far in order to do that. But I think that we could like seriously have an entire conversation about movies that were inspired by this John Wick series. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. I mean, like I said, the impact, like I think I texted you earlier, the, the influence and the impact that this film has had and is currently having on, on the genre is unreal. And so, um, you know, me personally, I, I think the, you know, back in 1999, when everything was trying to kind of copy and mirror the matrix, I think that kind of wore out its welcome after about a year but uh, m- me personally, I, I mean, I love it. I mean, I, I liked Atomic Blonde much more so than than I really thought I would. And a lot of that, I mean, the extended fight scene, uh, the, that one take fight scene in the film, it, you know, is worth the price of admission alone. So yeah, I think uh, we're going to be seeing much more. Oh, yeah. well, I, of I this. hope they do a similar thing with Halle Berry's character. Yeah, and you know. Um, <laughs> I, I personally, I'd love it if uh, if we could get Jean Claude, if he could have his own John Wick film, or if Dolph Lundgren could have his own John Wick film. Then I think that would, um, or excuse me, not n- not an exact John Wick film, but something that kind of uh, mirrors that same style. I think that would be really cool. So um, yeah, there's there's still time. <laughs> I, I think it's gonna happen. I think it's gonna happen. Uh, so uh, Sean, you got any other movie that you saw recently that you'd like to recommend? Oh man, well there was uh, there was John Wick three. Um, <laughs> well, I guess if uh, if we're gonna continue with it, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves has one that just came out a couple weeks ago on DVD and VOD called Replicas. I don't know if you remember when that came out back in January. It kind of came and went in theaters. Um, not, not really an action film, uh, more a, a sci-fi drama, but, um, you know, it's, it's not terrible. It actually has some, uh, interesting, uh, thought provoking, uh, moral issues within it that I thought was interesting. So, um, yeah, if, if you're, if you're in the mood for some more Keanu, yeah, he has one out, uh, about human cloning called replicas. Nice. Yeah. My dad liked it. I never got a chance to see it. It looked interesting. That's for sure. Um, I know it got kind of mixed reviews, but I did want to try to check that out one of these days. Um, so, uh, right on. And if you, uh, could let us know what's happening on your podcast. Yeah, we're still moving forward. Um, we're, (laughs) we're in the, um, where I, I like to call it kind of the dark ages of, of Lundgren's career. You know, if you take a look at his, at his career, his filmography from about 97 till about 2004 ish or so, I feel like, um, not many, not many producers and writers really knew what to do with Lundgren. And so he was, uh, he was getting what he could and he was picking out some roles that were, you know, a little different and everything, but um, not many of the films, to be perfectly honest, in this period are 
that amazing. And so we're going through and kind of taking a look at them, kind of trying to figure out why, uh, why Lundgren might have signed up for these roles. Um, the most recent episode you uh, joined me for, which was uh, The Last Warrior, which was mm-hmm. was a bizarre uh, film, to say the least. But um, pretty soon we have Jill the Ripper um, that he did, where he um, takes on a uh, a female serial killer. And it's uh, it's <laughs> extremely a wild one. So we're going to be recording that one here soon. So um, yeah, yeah, please uh, take a look if you're interested in, uh, in Lundgren's career. Um, you know, before he was, uh, before he came back for Creed two and Aquaman, um, some really interesting stuff that we, uh, take a deep dive in and we discuss and, uh, take a look at. So it's been a ton of fun. Beautiful. Well, Hey, as always, thanks for being here and, uh, love to have you back again sometime. Hey, most definitely. Most definitely. I'll, I'll do anything else. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not just relegated to action. So if you do have a romantic comedy or something <laughs> like that, uh, <laughs> that nice. you need my perspective yeah. on, please give me a shout. We'll find something for you. All right, cool. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act but a habit. My name is Taylor Eland, and I host a show called Just Think, where I look into philosophy, theology, and other scientific ologies to figure out the underlying workings of an argument. If you would like to learn something new every week while getting both sides of a theory, go ahead and check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and Google Podcasts, along with various other networks on Sundays. All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation about John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Go see that movie. It is so much fun. And you know, something I also wanted to bring up is I actually went and saw it a second time. Uh, The second time I saw it in 4DX at the new theater that opened up here at the Regal Red Rock in Las Vegas. Uh, 4DX is wild. Um, I... That's all I can really say. It is a wild experience. It is unlike anything I've really been to before. It's basically like combining a movie theater with a uh, roller coaster or like a motion simulator ride. I mean, during these fight scenes, when he punches someone into a wall, your entire seat shifts and moves to the left. Like, well, it's like leaning over to the left and then all the way to the right and back and forth and jumping all over the place. And it follows some of the uh, camera pans. And then uh, when you're out in the, the rainy New York City streets, it's actually raining on your seat and you're getting wet and then uh there's a lot of bullets in this movie and so you get like there's like these little propeller things that are shooting air like past your ear so it's like like almost like the bullet is flying by your head i mean it's it's absolutely ridiculous it's very fun you know i don't know i go see 40x movies all the time but um for a movie like this it was definitely something worth checking out and i'm actually thinking about maybe going back for godzilla That could be fun. I could see 4DX Godzilla being a real blast. Uh, And everybody in the theater was cracking up and laughing and, you know, at all the, uh, all those 4DX effects. I mean, it was definitely a fun time. Uh, You be ready, though, to be shaking around quite a bit. So that brings us to the end of our conversation about John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. I do want to remind you all to please make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can rate and review us on iTunes. Five stars would be amazing. And uh, you could also just get in touch directly. You can email me at bydavidrosen at gmail.com or just tweet at us at PiecingPod or join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, a movie discussion group where the conversation about John Wick and all the other movies we talk about continues. So uh, I really had a great time doing this episode. 
But I do think, uh, especially with John Wick being such a dog movie, I think it's a a good moment to mention something I've been going through here at home uh, that I haven't really talked about. But I tweeted about it once or twice. But uh, our dog, Sadie, is not doing so well. Uh, She has kidney failure, and we're doing everything we can to to, to try to save her. And it's been a really hard couple of weeks, and I didn't know if I'd really talk about it on here or not, or, you know, just keep it private. But uh, the reason I am bringing it up, partially because John Wick is a dog movie, so it makes sense to talk about my pups. Uh, And we do have two dogs, Sadie and Harvey, for those of you who don't know. Um, But also, we have an album coming out, and it's... uh, I, I don't even know how to describe the feeling that you know, we might lose her before the album comes out, but, uh, we have an album coming out called the Pup Pups that is partially sung by the dogs and their voices. And the rest of the songs are sung by me about the dogs. And it's just like a fun novelty album of dog songs and cat songs. And so I figured, uh, John Wick being a big movie about a dog loving character and me being a dog loving character and our dog, Sadie, going through what she's going through. I figured I would close out the episode, as I always do with a song, with a song that's sung by Sadie on the album. The album's going to be called Who Wants Din Din. I'm not quite sure when it's coming out. It'll be sometime in the next few months. Uh, but this song is called Another Me and is sung by the Sadie Pup. And I really hope we can get Sadie Pup better. But, uh, you know, at this point we're doing everything we can and we're just going to have to see what happens but uh, this is another me. Enjoy it. And uh, I'm going to go see how Sadie's doing. I'm sorry that I didn't sleep in bed last night. I'm sorry that I didn't do the things you said. I'm sorry that I went and stole some of your socks. And I hit them with me down underneath the bed. When you're yelling at me, you know that it's so mean. How come you never ever Machine or the dryer when the steel your socks like every week. You can find more socks, but you never find another man. You can find more socks, but you never find another man. You can find more socks, but you never find another man. You can find more socks, but you never find another man. Sorry that you couldn't find the things you need. Sorry that I hit him underneath 
to three But you'll miss them less than you miss me If you don't know what I'm talking about Well, one day you'll see You can find more size But you'll never find another way And all points west. 